How we doing? And welcome back to another episode of the Isaiah Kid Podcast, the IKP, episode 115. We got a good one. Um, we're going to be going over the draft, a whole draft. Well, not, I'm not going to say a whole draft overview, but um, a couple teams that we talked about on the previous podcast, and we're going to bring those teams up. Uh, I got some. I got some Buccaneers. I got some. Uh, I got some. Some Buccaneers, uh, Packers, Cowboys. You know all that good stuff. Eagles. We're gonna talk about all that good stuff, and w- the moves that I like that they made. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get into a lot. We're gonna get into a lot. Also, the Michael Jordan doc that was great. Episode three and four was at was better. It seems like I mean I enjoyed episode three and four a little bit more. Then one and two, one and two. It was like a little intro, but three and four. Uh, and I think these next, these next few, that's gonna get, they're gonna get spicier and spicier. Uh, definitely, the Dennis Rodman story uh, had the internet blazing last night. The Dennis Rodman stories had the internet blazing last night. I enjoyed it all. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. So we got a lot to get into, uh, and not a lot of time to get into it. No, I'm kidding. But. We got a lot to get into. I'm going to get into it after this quick break. You need a break. I need a break. Nah, we're good. We're good. <clears throat> I, hope you big guy. I hope you guys have been at home quarantining, social distancing. But without further ado, let's get it. So, okay, like I said uh, on the previous podcast, when I was talking about the first round of the draft, I, like I said, team fan bases are excited. They're, they're looking forward to a, new, to a new beginning. I said certain fan bases, are, they're, they're drafting, they're, they think that their team is drafting their cornerstone for the next, for the next several years. Um, some teams are in championship contention. And think that they are a piece or two away from um from you know from being you know legit contenders and you know that can really win a Super Bowl. So there's a lot of things that uh that that coaches GMs are telling us with their picks. They they give us a lot of clues on what they think about their team based upon their picks. And I and I figured this out with two teams, 
two teams that were uh, that two teams that are really good, that are pretty good. One team had a really successful season last year with a first year head coach. The other was really good on paper, but uh, they had a mediocre year. Never quite found their group. And that first team, the, well, the the, the team, one of the teams I'm talking about is the Cowboys. The Cowboys had a great team on paper. Their defense was pretty much solid. We thought it was, but they didn't. They couldn't stop nobody last year. And then their offense, it scored a lot of points. It was, it was, it, its production was good. But when it was time to score in some big games, it would often not show up. Their their offense would not would often not show up and come to play for those big games. And you know, you know, a lot of people give you know a lot of you know a lot of the blame went on and fell it fell on Jason Garrett's shoulders, and everybody like, oh, it's Jason Garrett, it's Jason Garrett. And a part of me do yeah, a part of me yeah. Jason Garrett, I thought was a mediocre coach. Um, when it come to, when it came to X and O's, he wasn't a he wasn't like a creative offensive mind like Kyle Shanahan. He wasn't he wasn't you know, particular and pinpoint on defense like like Bill Belichick. He wasn't a great motivator like 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 um uh, uh Pete Curl. He wasn't a great motivator like Pete Curl. So yeah, he 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 wasn't a lot of those things. And yeah, he was a mediocre coach. He co he was a mediocre coach and he had a paper he had a team, a roster uh, for the most part, during his tender, that were um, that you know they were the Cowboys were at least a playoff team. Uh, but these last few years, some would make the argument they that they were a Super Bowl level team, and he underachieved. Now with this whole Dak Prescott contract situation, you know Jerry and Stephen Jones they continued to say, "Hey, we love Dak. Dak is our future. Dak is our guy." But it's been almost, this is the longest contract dispute that I've ever seen. Uh, you know, one minute they find a deal, then the next minute they don't have a deal. Dak is asking for more than what they are offering. And my whole, I'm not going to get into that whole contract spiel because I've been doing that for the last couple months. But what I am going to get into is their picks. And mainly the first pick. The first pick on offense, the 17th pick that the Cowboys used to draft C.D. Lamb. And I talked about it a little bit. People, some people criticize the pick because you're like, why did you take, why did you take, why did you draft the receiver where you just paid Amari Cooper $100 million? I already explained that on the last, last podcast on why I do support that draft pick. But now, what, this is easy. What Jerry Jones, what Stephen Jones is telling you is that what they're, what they're trying to show us or tell us is they want to see how good Dak is. But that's all they want to see. They want to see how good Dak is. Because, okay, last year, everybody, most people were shooting Dak some bail. Most people, was, most people were saying it's Jason Garrett. Most of us was thinking Jason Garrett's a mediocre coach, which he was. He was for the most part. He was. That's that, that's that's who Jason Garrett was. He had four eight and eight seasons. Um, half his half his tender in Dallas, they were eight and eight. So 
He was mediocre. He was mediocre as a coach. And like I said, he wasn't he wasn't a creative offensive mind. He wasn't he was not a strategical defensive minded guy and he was not a great motivator. So he I get that point. But with the with Jerry Jones and with Steven Jones are showing you and trying to tell you is, hey, Dak, there is no excuse. There, there's there, there's no excuse to underperform this year. You got Zeke, you got Amari Cooper, you got Michael Gallup, you got CeeDee Lamb, you got Mike McCarthy. You don't have a you don't have you don't want you don't have the great O line. That 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 offensive line was. You don't have that anymore. You don't have that same old line like you had two three years ago. But this is still a good this is still a good old line that the Cowboys have. And by the way, they drafted more linemen during the draft. So you got a pretty decent line because this 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 offensive line that the Cowboys have still has two Pro Bowl level player three Pro Bowl level players on it. Where if you count line if you count uh, Collins, Lionel Collins, uh, Zach Martin, Tyron Smith. You still have three quality. Uh, Zach Martin's an all-pro type of guard, and you still have two quality tackles. So this is this is not a bad O line that Dak has. This O line is still better than most. Probably not the best O line, but this O line is still better than most quarterbacks. Um, and you have all these weapons. You got, you got, you got. If not the best, but one of the best running backs behind you, with three high level, with three good receivers. Amari Cooper, he's a number one. Michael Gallup last year, he 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 showed his talent. He really showed like what he can be. He he's a solid number two. And if Ceedee Lamb is everything that we think, or you know, that you guys think CeeDee Lamb is, if he shows any of that, I think he'll have success, you know, with the Cowboys, with them, with, you know, with him being their third receiver, I think he will see, he will see success. So there is no absolute reason why Dak, why there's excuses for Dak, or why Dak shouldn't look to, why Dak shouldn't look good. That is what the Cowboys is telling you. That is what Jerry Jones and Stevie Jones is telling you. When they made that pick, yes, they made that pick because they want to make a splash, a splashy type of move and so, of sort. Oh, yeah, they made that pick for that reason, too. But they also made that pick with C.D. Lamb because they're like, okay, you got three good wide receivers. You got a nice, you got a young, nice young tight end. You still have a decent, you know, you have a good O-line in front of you. And you got Ezekiel Elliott behind you. With Mike McCarthy, who's who's a good offensive mind, he's a he's an offensive minded guy. So you have all of these pieces around you to be successful. So there should be no reason why you can't be successful. So if Dak underperforms, if Dak doesn't look up to par, Jerry and Steven, they they, they know who it is. They they know who it is because some people think is some people just think Dak is just not talented enough. Now I think Dak, uh, his talent, it's not Mahomes. He's not he's not a Carson Wentz. He's not a Patrick Mahomes talent. No, he's not. He's he's not one of those guys. But with Dak, 
he 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 had over a couple over the last two years. He has shown improvement in his can in, in in his mechanics. Accuracy has gotten better. Is it still elite? Is it at an elite level? No, but it has gotten better. But some people tend to think that hey, Dak is just not the guy for the Cowboys, and Jerry and Steven Jones with these moves, with these moves. Adding another receiver, still having a decent O-line, still having Ezekiel Elliott behind you, with an offensive-minded coach, we'll see who's the problem. We'll see what needs to happen, what needs to be done. There's no excuses for that. That's what Stephen Jones, Jerry Jones, the Cowboys showed me. That's what they showed me. Now, on to the Green Bay Packers. Matt LaFleur and the Packers GM. They showed you to all the Packer fans, all the Green Bay fans, all the Aaron Rodgers supporters. They showed you what they think of Dak. Or, my bad, Aaron Rodgers. They showed you what they thought of Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers. They no longer think Aaron Rodgers is a top tier guy anymore. They just don't. And mm, Rodgers' numbers did go down. But I think Rodgers is Rodgers closer to Patrick Mahomes or Jimmy Garoppolo at this moment. I'm not talking about where, I'm not talking about Rodgers in his prime. But I'm talking about at this moment, at this very moment right now, is Aaron Rodgers as a quarterback closer closer to Patrick Mahomes or Aaron or or or, or Jimmy Garoppolo? Because with the moves that Matt LaFleur and the Packers made from the second round on after they drafted Jordan Love. It seems like there's a change of direction. There, there's a there's a change of there's a change of direction. And also, what did I tell you guys on the previous podcast? On the previous episode, I said I don't think Matt Lafleur is a big fan of Aaron Rodgers. I and I still think so. I don't think Matt Lafleur is huge on Aaron Rodgers. I don't think he's huge on Aaron Rodgers at all. I don't think he's a fan of Aaron Rodgers at all. And it seems like, because the Green Bay Packers, they drafted running back, and they did acknowledge that they had to fix, they had to improve in their interior O-line. They did acknowledge that. The Packers did acknowledge that. But, but, they they acknowledged it, all right. They acknowledged it, all right. But they didn't draft no receivers. They didn't draft no skill position guys. Didn't draft no tight end. They, they, it seems like Matt LaFleur is drafting guys that fits his system. Nothing wrong with that. But he's drafting guys that's not going to help Aaron Rodgers. The big knock on the Packers last year that I had on the Packers was offensively, the Packers were too offensively limited. They were limited. 
They had they had, they had Aaron Jones who had a great year. He had a great year. And I'm gonna get on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna touch bases on that, but Aaron Jones had a great year. And then they had Devontae Adams. One reliable receiving target that Aaron trusts. Aaron Rodgers don't trust all these other guys. He don't trust uh Lazar. He, he don't trust all these up uh, these all these rook, young rookie guys. He don't he don't Jerome Otley. He don't he don't trust these guys. And you saw it last year. Also, Aaron Jones touched the ball. He had two hundred. He had two hundred and third. He had two hundred and thirty six rushes, along with fifty receptions. He had fifty receptions with two hundred and thirty six rushes. So that's about almost three hundred touches that last year. He almost had 300 touches last year. He was a thousand yard back, and he had 16 touchdowns. Do you, you don't find that cool? And, and Aaron Jones is a good talent, and his he's definitely on the rise. Um, he's one of the better running backs in the NFC. But you don't find that like coincidental that all of a sudden Aaron Rodgers' numbers went down as far as like completion percentage. Passing yards, touchdowns, all that went down. And Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones' rushing numbers went up. You don't find that coincidental with the first year of Matt LaFleur. And then this, uh, this draft, they draft another running back with O-line help. So they fixed their interior. Or they drafted interior guys. And they drafted another running back. I don't know. And they drafted a quarterback in the first round. I don't know how clear. I don't know how clear this has to get. Or has like. I don't know. I don't know what has to be said. But Matt LaFleur is truly. He is clearly. He is clearly not a huge fan of Aaron Rodgers. And not really building and looking towards the future of Aaron Rodgers. Jordan Love is a kid that's gonna probably he's probably not he's probably not gonna see the field. He unless Aaron Rodgers get hurt. Jordan Love is he's so raw. He's so he has so much he has so much raw talent. But he's probably not gonna see the field until about two three three years three years three years three years minimum. If Aaron doesn't get hurt, three years minimum. Jordan Love doesn't even touch the field as a starter. But it, it, I don't think this has to be I don't think this has to be much clearer than what Matt LaFleur and the Packers are, are are painting it out to be. I don't think I don't I don't think this is difficult at all to read. This is clearly this is clear. I mean, if you can't see this, I think Stevie Wonder can see this because this is clear as day. Matt LaFleur and the GM of the Packers don't want Aaron. They don't want him. They don't. They 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 they, they either they don't want him, or they're not huge fans of him. Because you would think, oh, they're gonna draft a running back. They, they, they're gonna draft a receiver. They're gonna dra- They're gonna draft tight end. They're gonna give Aaron Rodgers more weapons, and they did not. They did not. They they they, they did not. They you know they gave him, they got got a one more running back. And then you got him a backup quarterback who's raw. That you, you, who's raw. They did not get him more help. 
while these other teams in the NFC got more receivers, got better on defense, uh, teams that were better than Green Bay last year got better. The 49ers got better. They got better. They add they added a receiver. They 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 added to their already dominant D-line. They added a Pro Bowl level a, a Pro Bowl level left tackle with Trent Williams. The 49ers got better. The Packers did not get any better. And it seems like Matt LaFleur is not – he's not a big fan of Aaron. I'm telling you. He is not a big fan of Aaron, and he's building towards the future, building towards his system because he's basically saying his system, we can win win with a Ryan Tannehill with my system. That's basically what he's saying. We can win it with a Ryan Tannehill. And the, and the Packers have always been so reliant on Aaron Rodgers to make big plays, to make those, you know, you know those, those big-time throws down the field and those big-time throws where they need him on, you know, on, on critical third downs or when they need him in fourth quarters. He, they, have, they have always relied on Aaron, but now it has, gone a, it, it, it has gone a different route. And maybe that'll help Aaron. Maybe that will preserve him some years, but... They have all the Packers have always relied on Aaron Rodgers to make big plays, and it just don't seem like Matt Lafleur is very reliant of that from Aaron anymore. That's what I'm telling. That's what I'm. That's what I'm sensing. That's what I saw from the draft and with the Packers draft picks. I'll be back after a quick break. MJ Doc, uh, last dance. Let me not call. Let me stop calling it MJ Doc. Uh, it's the last dance. Uh, the last dance documentary parts three and four. Last night I watched it. I enjoyed it. So uh, first, I mean, it's not you know they, they talked about the Pistons. They talked about Dennis Rodman and Phil Jackson and um, how they both connected uh, and how Phil Jackson understood Dennis Rodman. I'm gonna get to that first, but <clears throat> I, I, I already knew this. But boy, oh boy, uh, it was it was it was it was refreshing. It was good to see Michael uh, Michael Jordan and those bull, and those early, those late you know those early nineties Bulls overcome and take uh, physically overcome and mentally overcome those bad boy Pistons. Uh, it, 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 I mean, it, it it showed how persistent and. Like it, it showed how hard working the Bulls were, uh, mentally and physically, um, and even schematically with Phil Jackson and Tex Winter putting in the triangle offense, putting in the triangle offense, 
Uh, so the so the offense is less reliant on Michael. It's not like we don't all know that, or if you don't know this, this is this that's what happened. Um, but you know, it's inserting the triangle offense into the Bulls' offense uh, and being less reliant, less dependent on Michael because that's what ultimately. I mean, Michael was great at that, and Michael would score his points, and the Bulls were good to a certain extent and to a certain point. But when you, like I always say in the playoffs, you need as many ways as possible to score buckets in the playoffs. And that's what the Pistons did. The Pistons limited Michael Jordan because they, they knew the Bulls, the, those Bulls teams were heavily reliant on Jordan as their ball handler, as their score, as their, he, they were heavily reliant on Jordan and they made Jordan pay for that. Triangle offense, it, it gave everybody touches, and Jordan was still great enough where he still got his points. He still got his buckets. He still had his isolation buckets. Um, and that's and it, it shows you the greatness how and how good he was. Because even even though he, you know, it, it wasn't he didn't have the ball in his hands at all all time, all the time. It just shows you that hey, this, this it's he still gets his points. He still gets his buckets. It don't matter. So I, I just like those battles, those tough matchups between the between the Pistons and uh and, and, and the Bulls. It was it was good. It was a it was good to overcome. Over it was good to see them overcome that hardship. And it just you know it just it, that's just how it works in the NBA. Usually, uh in the NBA that's usually just how it works. The Celtics Lakers rivalry. They go back and forth and win titles. Then you you know Philadelphia snuck in there. You know a year or two they got to the finals and won the championship. Actually, uh, but then as the deck as the eighties went on, the late eighties, the Celtics got older. The Lakers would eventually get older, and the Pistons overtook the Celtics, and then they had to overtake the Lakers. Um, in the in the finals, it took them losing a finals and then coming back the following year and beating the Lakers twice in the finals, um, and then so forth with Chicago beating Detroit to ultimately win their first title against Magic Johnson and the Lakers. So it's that was just it's just the pattern that 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 was just the pattern how it went the passing of the torch to the next best team, to the next great all-time, to the next all-time great level caliber players. That was just how it went. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I watched, so a couple years ago, a couple years ago, I think, that I, I forgot the exact year, but a couple years ago, and I know the Bad Boy Pistons got a bad, they get a bad rep. And, um, the, and some of that is part due to the NBA. And like Isaiah Thomas said last night, on the on the on the documentary, like I said, like Isaiah Thomas said, and the in the in the Bad Boy Pistons said last night, they they knew what game the NBA, they knew what game the NBA was playing, they knew that the NBA wanted to promote their newest, their brightest, their youngest star, and they wanted to put their their youngest and you know they promote their their brightest star. Their 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 new up and coming star. They wanted to promote their star and put him on the highest level. That's what the NBA wanted. The Pistons said, "Hold off on that for a couple years." 
Fisher said, hold up on that for a couple of years. Um, and, you know, they got a bad rep for it. And then ultimately, their play style, the, the way how they play, the physicality, the dirty, cheap shots, that's how they play. And I had no problem with that because that's just how basketball was played in the 80s. The referees didn't, you know, flagrants were, you know, weren't as, weren't called as frequently. So I get it. I, I get it. So I'm not going to down them on, on that and their physicality because physicality, because that's what the Lakers and Celtics did in in, those, in their finals matchups. Vice versa. It's, it's the same. But it seems like Isaiah Thomas, Zeke, it seems like Isaiah Thomas, um, the older Isaiah Thomas, uh, not the one that's still playing today, but obviously. But it seems like he always finds himself in the wrong propositions in these type of moments. Like he's like... I, it was a doc, and like I've said a couple of years ago, it was a documentary uh, on the Bad Boy Pistons and how they formed and how they came together, and they basically talked about they, they, they you know, they talked about getting past the Celtics, getting past the Lakers, um, running up against the Bulls and Michael Jordan, and beating the Bulls and Michael Jordan, and losing to the Bulls and Michael Jordan, and so forth. They talked about that. All they talked about all of that, but then they, you know, in that in that doc. Uh, with the bad boys and Isaiah Thomas, they Isaiah Thomas he had made some comments about Larry Bird, then Isaiah Thomas had made comments about Magic Johnson, and then this whole not shaking hands with the Chicago Bulls after they defeated them in the 1991 NBA Eastern Conference Finals, in the Eastern Conference Finals not shaking hands. It all it always seems like Isaiah Thomas is always regurgitating the point and pointing the finger at somebody else instead of pointing the finger in his direction. You know, my parents always say, hey, when you point the finger at somebody, there's four others pointing back at you. And it seems like Isaiah Thomas, is, is, uh, he's always hes always finding himself in, in, in these type of spots and these situations where he has to, you know, he has to think about what he says, then he says it, then it was like, uh, you, you, really, didn't, you really didn't say the right thing or you really didn't do the right thing, and he has to often, you know, fall back and roll back off his point. What he, the comments he made about Larry Bird, he he said it after he lost. He said it. He got his comments off. The media reacted. He was like, ah, he got. A, he, he had to. He had to roll back off his point. Said he had the Magic Johnson and met the Magic Johnson situation. They were best friends, but they had that situ- They had their own situation. He had. He had to back up. Then the Jordan Bulls situation with not shaking hands. Last night he talked about it. He said he, you know, he mentioned how the Celtics, you know, they they did the same thing to us. Well, no, that's not the point, Isaiah. That's not the point, Isaiah Thomas. And I said, let me let me not, you know, say that Isaiah. I mean, Isaiah, he probably doesn't need to hear this. And I've met, and actually, I met Isaiah Thomas, and I've, I've taken a picture with Isaiah Thomas at the Basketball Hall of Fame. But um. He's he, he's definitely one of the all he, he's one of the he's probably top five point guard of all time. He's probably top five point guard of all time. He did he 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 played both sides of the basketball. Even with him being a miniature guard, he played both sides of the basketball. Um, and he won a couple titles, and he was really good throughout the eighties. And we all know about the debacle with the Dream Team, Magic. Nope, you know. Even though he made he they, the Pistons, you know, you heard it, you heard it last night. The Pistons still have some type of ill will. Uh, they there's still some 
personal feeling. There's some personal ill right there, you know, between Jordan specifically. But that whole Bulls thing, they don't talk to them. They don't, they don't hang out with them. <laughs> They're just not in the same circles. And that's why you often hear on NBA TV or when Bill Lambeer goes on these networks, he often says, hey, LeBron James is the greatest basketball player of all time. And Isaiah Thomas on NBA TV, he usually says, oh, LeBron James is the greatest basketball player of all time. And that's nothing to take away from LeBron James because LeBron James is a great basketball player. And like I said, and I, you know, we already covered this about LeBron being the GOAT whatever and him being the second greatest player of all time. We already covered this. We already covered that. But the, the, the key point is out of this is like, they still take shots to Mike. They still take shots at Michael till this to this very day. They still do it. Bill ba- Bill Lambeer did it what last week? He did it last. He, Bill Lambeer was on first take, and he said, "Uh, you know, LeBron James is best best basketball player best basketball player ever." And I mean, I mean, the points. I mean, you can make an argument for it, but I mean, you're like, really, Bill? Really, really, Bill? You really gonna t- you you really really, Bill? You played against Michael. You're really going to say LeBron? There's some ill will still there. Uh, you in Isaiah Thomas is always on NBA game time. And when they're talking about LeBron James, Isaiah Thomas, when they're talking about GOAT discussion and LeBron James, Isaiah Thomas always brings up LeBron James being the greatest of all time. Nothing wrong with it, but you can still tell there's some ill will there. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah. Uh, now... Now let me get this. I did. I didn't. I, I did like the fact that um, we got the saw. I mean, I already knew Dennis Rodman was. I already knew Dennis Rodman was a you know great all time rebounder. Probably one, he's probably one of the greatest defenders in basketball. Not just not just on not just in the interior, but out there on the perimeter as well. I mean, perimeter interior. He's a great, versatile defender. Um, probably the best rebounder in league history, uh, in the modern day at least. Uh, you know, I know Wilt rebounding numbers were crazy, but uh, Robin has great rebounding numbers as well. Um, and we all know about Robin, the dyed hair and the piercings and the earrings and the tattoos and the outfits and the girlfriend. Um, it was, it was real, it was real fascinating to see how him and Phil Jackson made a connection. Cause I would have never thought, you know, out of all these guys, him and Phil Jackson are like the closest. They're butt buddies. They're, well, not, they're Native American buddies. They, 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 they connected with their Native American, uh, you know, liking and discoveries. They that's how they that's how Phil connected with Rodman. And it was just funny, it was fascinating to see, um it was fascinating to see how Phil connected and made those connections with Rodman. Um and not just Rodman, but Phil it, it, I think last the you know, last night's episodes, um it showed you not just the X's and O's and and you, that Phil was great at like it shows you the egos he had to manage, and I talked. I talked about this before these episodes came out about just the just look at the amount of egos that Phil Jackson have had to handle, um, not just on those bull teams, but then you think about 
the those Laker teams that he coached. Think of all the egos, all the personalities that he had to pull from, um, and 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 manage, and was pretty damn successful at it with winning eleven titles. I mean, really, like that's 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 iconic. That's iconic, and with Phil, it was good. To see. It was great to see. It was great to see. You know, he, he knew that you you, you got to give Dennis a little bit. More, you got to give Dennis some different treatment. You you because you, you you get the most out of him, but he drifts off. He drifts off. He's kind of a he's kind of a you know he's a he just wanders. He drifts all. He wanders. So you gotta give him breaks. You gotta give him that type of break. And it was so funny that the internet was going off. The internet was making jokes. I laugh um, when I see those type of jokes. They talk about Dennis Rodman invented low management uh, with his eighty-eight hour break from the Bulls. Funny, Carm, uh, you know, Carmen Electra. That was that was a whole that was a whole funny part with her coming into the. Coming into the situation, <laughs> that was funny. I found that funny. I found it humorous, but I found it. Uh, I found uh, you know, it, I found it also like just inciting, just great insight, um, and, and knowledge about how versatile Phil was in the different personalities that Phil had to deal with. Front office, <laughs> front office was a mess. Uh, <laughs> cheap owner. Uh, GM is egotistical. Then you got the Scotty situation. Then the Jordan. Jordan is a whole case by himself. Then, then uh, yeah, a lot. Uh, I, I I I praise I play, I praise um, Phil Jackson for that situation that he had. Uh, really, yeah, I, I praise him. Okay. So, so 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 so. Let's get this. So, I don't know why, and and I, I mean this. I mean this. Mel Kiper, all of the guys that 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 that's so locked in on this draft, all of those guys, they do a hell of a job during this time. They do a hell of a job during this time. Tom McShay, I know he tested positive for coronavirus. Hope he gets better. I know they do a lot. I know they do a lot during this time. They do a lot of, lot of, lot of you know, looking at tape, reviewing film, X's and O's, measurables. I know they do a lot. They invest a lot of their time into this. Damn near all of it. But they always went, and this is what I was looking for after the drive. Grades, they, 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 you know, they give these, they give these teams report cards after the great after the draft, and guess, so last year in last year's draft, uh, you know the, you know the 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 geniuses when it comes to this drafting, you know, they said, hey, the Raiders had the worst draft last year, report card wise, report card wise, grade wise. They gave the Raiders a failing grade last year with their draft picks. Um, at the end of the season, the Raiders had the best draft class. So it, it, it goes to show you first, after the fourth round, 
you don't know what you're getting. After the fourth round, GMs usually you GMs cross their fingers that that some of these guys work out. Fifth, sixth, seventh rounders, they typically do not work out. They they typically they typically don't make the team. And some of these fifth and sixth and seventh rounders, you know, you know the the, the male Kuipers of the world try to they try to and there's nothing wrong with it, but they try to predict and they try to guess. They try to they try to guesstimate what this six-rounder might be, who this six-rounder might turn into. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. They, try to, they try to do it so many times. They try, they try to do it so many times. No, 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 no. Some of these, most of those guys don't make the 53-man roster. And let's go over it. With New England... They, I, I saw nothing but good reports and good grades for New England. Why? Why? How did New England, with their draft class and with their needs, what, what, what did they fix? Needed a quarterback. Didn't draft one. They, they went out and signed Ryan, Ryan, Brian Hoyer. Okay? Needed playmakers on the outside. Drafted two tight ends. One of them, never heard of them before. Second round, they had no first. They traded out of the first round. Second round, I don't mean it. I don't mean it by any disrespect. But they drafted Kyle Duggar. Who in the hell is that? It sounds like he might break out and do the Dougie. Some of these guys, they drafted a guard out of Michigan, okay. But that was in the sixth round. Come on. Some of these guys, like Mel Kuyper, you're just, you're guesstimating. You're guesstimating what this seventh rounder, Dustin Woodard, might be. You're guessing out of Memphis, Dustin Woodard. He sounds like he should be working at Busboys and Poets. I'm sorry. I, 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 I'm, so, I'm, I'm sorry. Justin Heron. Offensive tackle out of Wake Forest. I don't know. I, 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 don't, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I'm sorry. Sorry. Uh, excuse me. But I don't know. And mistake me if I'm wrong, but... Earlier during this, earlier during the year, when Drew Brees broke another record, I talked about his supporting cast that the Saints have put around him. I talked about the supporting cast. You know, the supporting cast, Michael Thomas, all pro, maybe the best receiver in football. Alvin Kamara, another Pro Bowl, all pro type caliber running back. Ryan Ramchek. Oh, yeah, he's a really good offensive lineman. Marshawn Lattimore on defense. Oh, yeah, he's another lockdown corner. These are guys that the Saints have drafted. Okay, you want to go back to New England's last year's draft? 
They drafted Nikhil Harry. He was okay. Then these other guys, we never saw them step foot in the regular season. Jawan Williams, never heard of him. Damian Harris, we didn't see him. Jert Stidham, good luck. Jake Bailey, that's the guy they replaced. That's the guy they replaced their, their punter with, Jake Bailey. Ken Webster, we didn't see him last year. Isaiah Wynn, he's a pretty good tackle. Sonny Michelle, he's a decent back. Wasn't really, you know, he had an okay year. But Duke Dawson, we've not seen him. Christian Sam, not seen him. Dirk Rivers, Antonio Garcia. Connor McDermott. Cyrus Jones, they drafted Joe Thune. He's a good guard. Malcolm Mitchell, Vincent Valentine. I mean, he's a bunch of guys, like, I don't know. I, I, I made this joke. I was jokingly, but I don't think, um, I don't think Bill Belichick watches college football. I, I don't think he watches college football. Because um, these draft picks have not been good. And you want to talk about drafting playmakers because that's what that's what New England struggled with last year. Playmakers on the outside. That's why they traded for Muhammad Sanu. That's why they took a chance on Antonio Brown. They needed playmakers on the outside. That's why Tom Brady left. Needed playmakers on the outside. They don't have any playmakers on the outside. And in the draft this past weekend, they didn't try to replace it. They didn't try to. They didn't try to fill those positions. They drafted a safety, two linebackers, two tight ends, a kicker, a guard, a tackle, a linebacker, and a center. Most of these guys were probably not. They, they're gonna fall in the. They're gonna fall and sink into the Bill Belichick system. We don't know what we, we don't know what, what these guys are. We're not gonna know who these guys are. Like some of the guys I named off for previous years, you ha you never heard of them. You never heard of them. And they might be working at your local outback. I'm just saying. I, 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 I'm just saying. I, I, we, we, you know, I know Belichick is a great X and O's guy. He's, he's the greatest coach. He's the greatest coach I ever seen in football. But he doesn't draft well. He doesn't draft well at all. He does not draft well, and I, I don't know, you know, I don't know why, you know, the the the, the, the smart guys that you know that do these mock drafts, I, I don't know why they give these report cards. I don't know why they don't want to get, you know, they don't want to give it up. But th these just have not been good draft picks. Now, let's compare it to the Saints these last few years. Marcus Davenport has been fairly productive. Marshawn Lattimore, Boston Scott, he's with the Eagles now, Ryan Ramchek, Marcus Williams, a really good safety, Alvin Kamara, they got Ryan Ramchek, 
uh, Marshawn Lattimore, Marcus Williams, and Alvin Kamara. They got all four of those guys in the same draft. They got all four of those guys in the same draft. They also, the year before, the, the, the year before that, they drafted Michael Thomas. Excuse me. Michael Thomas, Von Bell. They have drafted nothing but Pro Bowl level players. And New England, on the other hand, and Bill Belichick, they just haven't cared about the draft, it seems like. The last playmaker that New England drafted in the draft, sheesh, you got to go all the way back to Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez. That explains that. Now, I'm going to tell you a team that I really like. I really like what they did during the draft. I'm going to tell you a team that I really like and what I saw. I, I, I like what I saw with their draft and with their offseason moves in general. The Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos. And, and, let, me, and let me preface this by saying this first. If if Drew Locke can play, if he can play, if he can play a little bit, the Broncos are going to be a really interesting team to look out for in the AFC. I'm not saying they're going to win the AFC West. I'm not saying they're going to win the Super Bowl. Don't 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 even put that. Don't even don't even put that in my mouth. But if he can play a little bit, the Broncos are going to be really interesting. So here go their free agent moves. Yes, they lost Chris Harris Jr., that repl- they, but they replaced him with a younger A.J. Bouye. Then they got D-tackle Jarrell Casey. He's pretty good, I don't know. Then they, then, then they, 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 they signed a guard. Then they drafted, drafted. Then they signed Melvin Gordon. So they have two good running backs in, Mel- in Melvin Gordon, Phillip Lindsay. Plus, they, they added, they got better in their D-line. You put, you put Jarrell Casey with Vaughn Miller and Bradley Chubb that's coming back off an of injury. I like that D-line. Then their draft picks. They drafted, in my opinion, the best receiver in the draft, Jerry Judy. Then they got another receiver out of, out of, out of Penn State, K.J. Hamler. He's a slot guy, speedy guy, really like him. Then they drafted another DB out of Iowa. Then they drafted a center out of LSU. I don't know. Those guys were pretty good last year. I don't know if you heard, but they were pretty good last year. I I really like the Broncos' picks, and I like what they did. Um, you know, I talked about the in the previous podcast. I talked about the Dolphins having a pretty good draft, and the Chargers having a pretty good draft um, due to their moves in the first round. Due to their moves in the first round because they drafted their quarterbacks that they wanted in the first round without happening to move up to get them, which is bizarre. Usually doesn't happen in, in the NFL. It usually does not happen. So that is what I got with the Denver Broncos. Uh, they 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 had a really good draft. I like what I saw from the Denver Broncos. 
uh, the Colts. They added DeForest Buckner. I like that. I like that pickup in the offseason by uh, they, by way of San Francisco, and then they were able to draft my what, I, like I said, Michael Pittman Jr. out of USC, big receiver, reminds me of Brandon Marshall, and they were able to get Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor, his measurables are really good. His measurables are really good. So I like the Colts and I like the Broncos. I like what they did in the draft. I really do like what they did in the draft. I like what they did in the draft. Um, I'll be back to talk about the Eagles. I'm going to talk some Philadelphia Eagles last um, and the rec- in positions and importance in teams. I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about that after the quick break. Dreams come true, and I wonder if you know. With the second round pick, they drafted Jalen Hurts quarterback. And I know some people are like, why do they draft the quarterback? Carson Wentz is there. Wrote, Carson Wentz has had injury problems. He, get this. For all the seasons he has played, all the postseason games that the Eagles, the Eagles, that the Eagles have played in. Mind you, the Eagles have gotten to a Super Bowl and won a Super Bowl. Carson Wentz and throw a pass. Last year in the postseason, he he completed one pass and got hurt. So I rave about Carson Wentz a lot. I rave about his talent because his talent is undeniable. So people can't people typically t- people typically can't nitpick that uh, because his talent is undeniable. Um, he he's an all world talent, but he has struggled to, to stay hurt. And I think it's a great idea for the Eagles because, I mean, let's think about the Eagles. The Eagles roster-wise, they, they, they didn't have a lot of O's. They needed a receiver. They needed a receiver, DB. That's pretty much it, though. That, that, that's pretty much it. So why not draft another quarterback? Because Jalen Hurts, if I had to bet on it, I would bet that Jalen Hurts probably plays this year because Carson Wentz is probably going to get hurt. He's probably going to get hurt. <laughs> He's probably going to get hurt. And with Jalen Hurts and Carson Wentz, not saying Jalen Hurts is Carson Wentz, but he's similar. He's fairly similar to Carson Wentz in his play style. Both are mobile. He can move around the pocket. Uh, Doug Peterson, if, if, if Jalen Hurts was the start and Carson Wentz was injured, I'm sure Doug Peterson would be smart enough, creative enough offensively to fit his skills, even though you wouldn't have to you wouldn't have to alter the playbook much. You you, you wouldn't have to alter the playbook the playbook much because Jalen Hurts is fairly similar to Carson Wentz. He can run around, he can he can he can, you know, throw the ball down the field, make smart reads. He's played in different systems throughout college, Oklahoma, Alabama. Has played against some top some some top notch talent. 
So he needs that. He, he, he needs that. And you look at a look at like like look at a situation. Look at a situation like the Jets last year. The Jets had a bad backup quarterback plan with, with Sam Donald. Sam Donald likes to move around the pocket. Sam Donald's mobile. He likes to take risks. He throws the ball down the field. Uh, the the guys that they had backing up the, the, the guys that they had backing up Sam Donald in New York with the Jets um, weren't good. They were not fits. They didn't match. Don, they didn't match Sam Donald's play style. And the reason why you know you the place that you know having similar play styles help is because you know you got to alter the whole playbook for for your backup. You have because he doesn't he doesn't do the, he doesn't do all the same things that Sam Donald does. But with with Jalen Hurts, I think you if he would the the system wouldn't change. A lot of bootleg, a lot of play action, quarterback design runs. Running the ball wouldn't matter. Wouldn't matter. And and when I talk about the Eagles and I'm talking about their roster, there's some teams like in the in the there's some teams in the league where they don't need seventh they don't need to draft guys in the sixth and seventh round. They don't need to because their roster's loaded. Like Baltimore. Baltimore, they didn't need to draft in the sixth and seventh round because whoever they draft in the sixth or seventh round probably is not going to make the roster because they had because Baltimore just had too many got too many guys at certain positions. Um, the, and like I said with the Eagles, the Eagles didn't have too many needs. They definitely needed a receiver. They got that. They definitely needed DB. They got that in the in off in the off season, and then I mean the backup quarterback means a lot to the Eagles because Carson Wentz, he you know he's he's typically hurt, he's typically hurt. Postseason Eagles have played since he's entered the league. The Eagles the Eagles have played in six postseason games. Carson Wentz has played in one of those games, and that was the one last year, and he had one completion. He had one single completion. That's just what it is, and that's what um that's that is like when you look at certain these ro- certain rosters, and, and you know some people say, oh why 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 didn't why why didn't why didn't the why didn't the Eagles drag linebacker? Why didn't Baltimore take a linebacker? That linebacker that they're gonna take later late in later rounds wouldn't even make the fifty three man roster. Why? Why waste a spot on a guy that's not going to even make the roster when you're already loaded at the at that position? But you can draft a backup quarterback, a solid backup quarterback that plays similar. And unlike a guy like Jacob Eason, unlike quarterbacks like Jordan Love, Jalen Hurts has experience. He has experience. Now, I'm not saying Jalen Hurts would be he would just flourish. You know he he just he he just flourished under pressure, but Jalen Hurts he has shown a certain level of maturity. He's played in different systems. He's played against different different types of talent. He's Jalen Hurts more NFL ready than Jordan Love or Jacob Eason, because just 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 because of the complexities uh, the complex systems that he has played in, he 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 he's 
he's ready. He's more ready for the NFL than than, than those guys. So if he was ha- if he if if the time was called if he was called upon to fill in for Carson Wentz for a couple games, I think he'd be fine. He plays similar. He plays similar. Uh, I think Doug Peterson would adapt greatly. That that I think that's what I think that's what happened. I, and you look at like I said, you look at rosters like the Chargers, Baltimore, uh, Minnesota. Not a lot of holes. Not a lot of holes in their roster. Not a lot of needs. So those late round, those late round guys they get won't matter. They won't matter. Those late, those late draft pick guys that they get or that that they draft won't matter. Um. So, uh, one last thing. I'm glad. I you know I sort of I reported on Trent Williams uh, getting out of Washington, going to the 49ers. Uh, it was a good move for the 49ers. Uh, Joe Joe Stanley is uh, now he is uh they he is they're expecting him to retire due to some health concerns. This is right on time. This is just what the doctor ordered. Uh, this is just this is this is right on time. Replacing a left uh, replacing a great left tackle with another good left great left tackle with Trent Williams. He's a multi-time Pro Bowler. Um, and I just feel I feel good for Trent Williams. I feel good. I feel good for Trent Williams. He got out of he got out of this hellhole that the Redskins are, and he went to a winning organization, the 49ers, um, a, 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 a Super Bowl, you know, a Super Bowl contender. He'd be playing on a contender to end off his career. They have to pay him. I think they will pay him because he's a pretty good player. He's a he's a really he's a really really good left tackle. The 49ers have him. That own the 49ers only. They they're only getting better. That's another team. They don't they don't have a lot of needs. They don't have a lot of needs, so they can get, they can afford to trade fifth and sixth rounders because those fifth and sixth rounders that they spent on players that they drafted players with probably wouldn't make the roster depending on what what depending on what position they play. But um, I'm going to wrap this up. I'm going to wrap this bad boy up for you guys. Thank you guys for listening. Tune in to another episode of the Isaiah Kid Podcast. We'll be back. Definitely we'll be back with more content. I haven't let you guys down yet throughout this quarantine, social distancing, pandemic, whatever. I've been here. I've been consistent. Thank you guys for, thank you guys for consistently clicking in, tuning in, and listening. I'm out. Deuces. Always remember two choices, one decision. I'm gone. Peace.